Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio is a podcast created to seek the truth by interviewing researchers of the unknown. From the primitive areas of America to the wilds of other countries worldwide, we believe that the answer to the Bigfoot phenomenon and other high strange lies within the investigators pursuing these mysteries. Join me, Lauren Smith, as I delve into the experiences and methods of those questing for answers to things that most don't even know exist. Often witnesses themselves, they are knowers and seekers of the truth, just like you. Good evening and welcome to Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio. You're here with your hostess, Lauren Smith. And tonight we have Max Hawthorne on our show. He is an author and a cryptid researcher. So we actually have had Max on before to talk about his book, Kronos Rising, which I read and is fantastic the entire series. Um, I will warn you that if you do read it, schedule time to read it because you'll get addicted and you won't be able to put it down. So with that being said, he is on tonight up on everything that he's been doing since his last interview and to let us know what he has coming up. So be sure to hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, the notification button, all the fancy buttons, and we're going to go ahead and get into the interview. All right. All right. Hey, Max, how are you doing tonight? I am rolling. Thank you. How are you? Fabulous. We had some technical difficulties before the show, but um, that comes with the territory of virtual interviews. Yes, virtually speaking. Virtually speaking. Um, So the last time we had you on, you had put out a few books, of course. Um, Mm -hmm. You had done the Kronos Rising series, which I have read the entire series. I had informed you that I made the mistake of reading. I think it was the second one. And then I went kayaking. Mm-hmm. And that was a mistake. That was oh, a mistake. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. yeah. I was kayaking and there my kayak hit a tree trunk that was barely under the water. Mm-hmm. And I about came out of my kayak. I was absolutely terrified. Um, I was a little, little jumpy. So um, I just want to warn everybody that you should dedicate time to read it, um, but also don't do any anything with water after you read it because it's very, if you have a fear of the things in the water that you can't see, it will mess with your head, or at least it did mine. Um, yeah, but I tell everyone about your book because I uh, the third one, I believe, is... Is it the third one? It is the one with the volcano. Oh. I don't uh, want to give it away. It's uh, Cronus Rising Diablo. Yes. yes, Diablo. Okay, that one is my favorite um, because mm. the plot is basically, I'll just say this part, there is a, a prehistoric sea monster that is living in a volcano and it's a whole environment. And when the volcano erupts, this thing is released into the world. And it is so good like it's just your brain is fantastic max well it's a little more than <laughs> twisted but I feel fantastic sounds great too but it makes for such great story <laughs> i i do love getting the visuals out there i, I remember for uh, diablo uh, there was one of my favorite reviews where somebody said uh 
it's Jurassic Park meets Pompeii. Pretty much, know? yes. Yeah. And that was really, you know, that's interesting actually. And then then Jurassic World came out eventually with a. Didn't they have a volcano? Mm -hmm. of it? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Years, years later. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say, um, there's some parallels there, uh, but yeah, I I really enjoyed the um, turning off my virtual background. Maybe my lagging will stop. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed the that one, especially about all of them. Um, the storylines are just great, and yeah. So, okay, so you have released those. You have a number of books under your belt, which you can all see at chronosrising.com. Um, but you've been working on something else, which is the reason that we have you here tonight. Um, well, there was actually uh, a couple other books after the Chronos Rising one. In fact, I did a uh, last Halloween, not a few weeks ago, but uh, of 2022. Actually, I did a Christmas horror thriller called The Slay, uh, yes. which is actually one of my favorite books. I was going to say, I have that one in my Kindle right now, because I saw it when I was researching you for the show. I was seeing what you were up to, and I was like, there's another one I'm going to spend all night reading. <laughs> yeah, it was really something that, fun to do, because it was um, delving into new territory. It gave me the opportunity to, to scare people on dry land for a change, for the most part. Um, and of course, it got. I was able to develop a nice mystique around Christmas. And there's not a lot of good Christmas horror stuff out there or sci-fi thrillers related to that. And uh, the sleigh, well, it's sleighs, I guess. <laughs> you know, yeah. and all that. Um, it's funny because they, I, they, I, there was actually a, a movie offer for it, which I rejected um, for assorted reasons, etc. And mm. all that, but. You know, I'm sure like uh, we'll we'll get that out there eventually, but um, would it be okay if I uh, just read the synopsis real quick? Well, absolutely. Cool. Um, let's see, Amazon. Okay. Well, there's a couple of uh, I guess you'd call those endorsements up top. Max Walthorn has created the ultimate holiday monster, and it is a total badass by D.A. Roberts, author of the best-selling Ragnarok Rising saga. He's actually in cryptozoology. Is he? Yeah. Oh, yes, it? yes. I knew that. I knew that. Just kidding. I knew that. Um, I thought you said E.A. Roberts, and I was like, I don't know that. It must be my vestigial Brooklyn accent. A little bit. The only Christmas cheer this year will be from those who live to see the dawn. For hardened NYPD homicide detectives Ilsa Dunbar and Andy Alvita, I have to do my narrative voice. Mm -hmm. Christmas represents a holiday of horrors. Every December for the past decade, a cult of serial killers the press calls the Christmas cannibals has chewed the Big Apple to its core. Creeping in under cover of darkness, they bypass the finest security systems and slaughter entire families, leaving wreckage and half-eaten corpses in their wake. But as Dunbar and Alveda's investigation leads them from one horrifying crime scene to another, they begin to realize there is something dark and deadly lurking in the shadows. It is an ancient evil whose roots are wrapped around the most iconic Christmas figure of all. And for those who meet its fiery gaze, the legend of Santa Claus will never be the same. Nice. I was already sold because I already have it in my Kindle app. But Thank you. 
anyone who uh, loves true crime, you should you should get it. Anyone who loves true crime and holiday horror, you should get it. And anyone who has read the Kronos books, it's kind of like the perfect trilogy for me. Like I'm Trinity. That's the word. Uh, so I'm really excited to read it. I will leave a review and I will let you know. Um, I very rarely leave reviews, which is terrible. It is it is a very yucky flaw of mine that I try to rectify. I do for my author friends, especially. But um, I did leave a review on that book on Kronos because it was delightful. Thank you. Traumatizingly delightful. James Matson, Hello. So, yes. dude, Doug Miller, nice striper on the wall. Oh, you can only see the underside, but thank you, Doug. <laughs> That's from 1999 Montauk, back when it's only a 40 pounder, but then a 40 was big because they were so depleted and stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm really happy with it because I'll see if I can pull it up a little bit here. There you can't you see all of it, but it actually swept the New York State show that year, from courtesy of my taxidermist, Star Trophy, President's Trophy, and Best in Show. So, and of course, he complained. I put so much work into that. It's like you got it for free. <laughs> it didn't cost me 700 something dollars back then, mind you, but uh, you yeah. know, Hey, but you got it for free. Okay. You know, whatever works. Yeah. Anyway, please type questions in all caps for Max. Yes. Um, so if you have any questions for the guest or hostess, uh, please type them in all caps so that I can keep, track of them and relay those on um and then uh are any of your books on dvd do you mean uh, audible? audible maybe audible maybe um three of the books that i'm aware of are on there the uh let me think about it Cronus Rising Diablo, which you like is on there Cronus Rising Plague is on there and Memoirs of a Gym Rat which was a my very first ever book, which was a tell-all on all the evils and, and things, yeah. the hijinks that go on in the health club industry that nobody knows about. Yeah. You know, so I was working in that industry for a long time while doing a fitness product of mine right. many years ago. And I I saw, heard, experienced some awful stuff. But the, uh, the narrator is a, an actor and a stand-up comedian who does voices as well. So mm -hmm. his impersonations, the characters he brings, I mean, it is horrifying and gross at times mm -hmm. but it is also hilarious i mean i don't want to get into some of it but you know you got to have a, a strong stomach and a strong sense of humor to read that book and you may never go to a gym again afterwards but it's a great survival guide can i just read the first paragraph on the um description sure first Ma paragraph yeah Max Hawthorne's raunchy, revealing memoir is certain to induce bouts of calorie-burning laughter, embarrassed grins, and reconsiderations of one's gym membership. A smutty and enjoyable expose of life behind health club doors, Memoirs of a Gym Rat is both scandalizing and edifying read. And the things you, I mean, one time this area supervisor, I was like managing a club, he's like, hey, Max, can you, uh, see what's in check what's in the closet there he was looking for something i open the closet and i catch a personal trainer and his client <laughs> of course what i'm saying right in back oh, and i was okay. like whoa like that and yeah. i'm like uh uh carry on and i opened the door and i went oh you're fired and your membership's revoked yeah I shut oh the door. my gosh yeah you know i want to say the same thing about healthcare, actually and so like you know that i i work in human resources. And so my old manager, she used to get so mad 
at Grey's Anatomy on how they portrayed our healthcare. And I'm like, but we literally get employee investigations all the time of uh, employees being naughty, um, you know, in the stairwells and, you know, whatever. And so healthcare is the runner up to gym memberships, apparently. So, yeah. you know, if you Google it, it says that um, if you look at the person, like the type of job career, the person your spouse is most likely to have an affair with, the number two slot was their personal trainer. Mm -hmm. And the number one slot was the salesperson or gym manager that signed them up. Really? Yeah, it's true. And I uh, forget it. I've never been to a gym. So I guess like... I, I haven't been in a long time, you know, I'm to be a little chunky here. I tell people like, you know, I, I used to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now I'm yeah. like Arnold or Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now I'm Arnold Palmer, you know, <laughs> yeah. around the middle, losing my hair, whatever. I mean, well, now we know why I wouldn't set foot in a gym again either. Um, especially a gym around you, if they recognize who you are and what you wrote, I'm sure, you know. Um, well, I was actually one of the good guys, believe it or not, because I was on the side of the clients versus mm -hmm. the owners. You know, the oh, I gotcha. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was always trying to get yeah. my people the best possible deal and screw the company, which was right. why I was very successful at it. Because, you know, people can appreciate when you're, you know, you're yeah. looking out for their best interest instead of just trying to line your pockets. Yeah. So. Yep. No, that's. Books a million? Probably, but you're probably going to have to ask for it in advance. Can mm -hmm. I find your books there? Yeah, you, you'd you have to call them up. That's a chain of stores, right? Because mm -hmm. yeah, it's only like the big five that automatically end up in all the stores. Oh, okay. You guys are a little indie house. But you can get the books, my books, anywhere. You just have to call them in advance and have them, you know, order. order. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Or Amazon. I'm an Amazon girl. So, I, I mean, like, everyone's like, oh, I, I'm at Barnes & Noble. And I'm like. But why would I go there if it's on Amazon? <laughs> it's true. And I mean, I, I've gotten so much honesty into Kindle reading lately, partially because I would read to my little girl before bed and, mm -hmm. you know, it's nice and bright. I can make it as bright as I want. I can enlarge the text if I want. Because I'm kind of senior citizen each day. <laughs> but I didn't really appreciate it until I wrote my cryptid book, um, mm -hmm. Montgomery Mysteries, which, believe yes. it or not, was my first Amazon number one bestseller. Really? Yeah. If you guys are into cryptids, cryptozoology, it's that's the name of the book monsters and Marine mysteries it's very uh, all-encompassing it's got a lot of great stuff in there people that are interviewed by me that nobody knows are still alive sightings from the 70s and stuff and even 60s everybody thinks these people were dead and i yeah. mean i got like a lot of great details but uh what i discovered is when you're writing something from a scientific perspective even though the book's not boring you you have a lot of references in there you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, like for details or information you're providing. So all those references in the Kindle are live. They're live links. So instead of saying like, you know, oh, the world's largest great white shark, you, know, you can just click on that and it takes you right to it. Oh, nice. So instead of, yeah, if you have the paperback, you got to go, oh, I got to look this up and what yeah. is it? fine print here and, you know, all that, you know, the Kindle does have some fantastic advantages. I feel really bad now that I've never utilized that, uh, that function on Kindle. And I'm thinking back to all the blue underlined words that I've seen in Kindle app. And now I feel kind of bad. I've never clicked on those and I'm gonna have to go re investigate all my books now, all my favorites. All right. Um, there was a question up here about 
What species did you have the angling record in? I never talk about that because it's one of the few times in my life I've killed a fish and I felt so bad about it that I just, I don't get into it, but uh, it is an IGFA all tackle record. After that, I actually <clears throat> fought and quote landed, although we released them boat side, two sharks that would be world records to this date. Uh, one was a blue shark that was well over 700 pounds, and one was a, uh, a nurse shark, which is not a glamour species, but it was a slow-moving freight train. And mm. both of those fish, I just we just cut them loose beside the boat. They didn't have length records or any ways back then. You either had to kill the fish to get the record or let it go. So I, you know, and I don't need to, you know, I know I caught him. Yeah. And he knows I caught him, and that's all that matters. So photos have to suffice at that point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. And Doug Miller said, one of the ways you fish for stripers is watch the birds because they are gather around looking for scraps from schools of stripers, having an eating frenzy on bait fish. Have you ever used birds, crows, slash ravens, and buzzards to help find water and land cryptids or their fresh kills? I have not. Um, my cryptid experiences have been terrestrial wise, more from a safe distance and or via like infrared cameras and stuff like that of late mm -hmm. uh, i've done a lot of but uh, i have seen crows beat the snot out of red-tailed hawks and great horned owls that were three times their size so that's always been interesting but uh but yeah i am familiar with the technique of you know setting on like you know bait fish you know when you have a thousand seagulls churning around that area diving into the water and stuff you always you know you know there's stuff there and yeah. you'll sometimes have like bluefish slamming you know manhattan or bunkers they call them in new york and stuff and stripers under them sometimes you'll see catch a big striper that has a bluefish bite on it because the bluefish gets so frenzied etc but yeah i mean i've lost some monstrous fish uh, there's one in a book that lord knows what it was but it almost pulled me into the water and it broke 400 pound test line like it was nothing and the rod attached to it an unlimited class tuna rod yeah. i was just stand up that got snapped in half crazy that's insane that's don't you wish you had landed whatever it was i don't know my my we were fishing for goliath grouper and i had like a 100 pound grouper on there and whatever it was ate that grouper and when it got away it left a swirl like the water boiled up the size mm -hmm. of my office, which has got to be 15 feet across or something like that. Yeah. And the captain was like, what the heck was that? And yeah. I, was like, I don't know. You're, you're the, it's your neighborhood. And yeah. he's like, must be one of them 800 pound groupers. People say they see all the time, but they never catch. And I said, well, now we know why you don't catch them. Yeah. Pounds. See? Nope. Pass, pass on that. Um, pyroma pyromedic said it's a Meg. A Meg got your grouper. If that well, well, you know, I'd love to catch one of those too. Have you ever hooked a great white? No, I have seen one though off of Montauk many, many years ago back when they were much less common than now and it was enormous. And the captain that I fished with wasn't on a trip I was in, but he was telling me they had um, like a 130 pound blue shark on the line and it got eaten, taken by a white shark. And all they reeled in was the head. And he said the expression on the blue shark's face was like this, like, like that, like, like, what the heck? You know, yeah. it was a running joke, but yeah. Big bait, big fish, right? 
Yeah, no kidding. Uh, pass on that. Um, so have you witnessed a water cryptid yourself? Um, there's a few th things in Monsters and Marine Mysteries. Um, I'm, I'm going to say, like, not that I know of. Like some incident, like whatever ate that grouper, obviously was something gigantic, but it could have been mm -hmm. a mega grouper. It could have been a, I don't think it was a shark, the way it acted and stuff like that. But uh, there is a lake in New Jersey that I've gone to, which has in it, I believe, somebody released a giant freshwater stingray when it was young. And now it is like the dominant life form in this lake. And I'm talking about a stingray that's probably six or seven feet across and weighs like yeah. six or 700 pounds. So me and my dad, we watched it, its wake as it swam and we were following with the trolling motor and stuff, you know, trying to figure out, you know, like, what is that? And all. You could see like the twin edges churning up from the edges, I guess, of the, uh, the wings, we'll call. So. Pass on that. <laughs> um, so my favorite thing about you, besides the works that you have that are enjoyable by me, um, is that you have had a cryptid sighting that we do not associate with water, but you had a cryptid sighting of a Bigfoot in the water. I've actually had one, two, three, four, five. I don't know how many cryptid sightings at this point, but yes. Um, that one especially that, though. Yeah. Yeah. That one was, it's funny because I, uh, until I started researching Monster Marine Mysteries, I had kind of like forgotten all about that because at the time I didn't associate it with Bigfoot. I was not into cryptids back then. I don't even think I'd seen the Patterson-Gimlin film. I mean, this is like 30 years ago. You know, back then we didn't have cell phones. I don't even know if we had pagers then. I'm trying to think we might have. But um, yeah, did you want me to? Yes, please. What, uh... Yeah. Um, I know you shared this last time on the show, but I have a lot of new listeners and it is a Bigfoot show. So, and it's one of my favorite stories um, that I share with people because everyone you know, we see Bigfoot behind a tree. We see Bigfoot across a field. Um, there's very few that involve water. So yours was very interesting to me. It was uh, a, the strangest experience. Let's put it that way. Um, so my family, we used to have a house in Connecticut, Danbury, to be exact, on Candlewood Lake. You know, it overlooked the lake. My grandfather built it like right after World War II or something like that. And it was a big house and it was great. It had a boat garage. And I used to love going up there when I was a teenager and, and in my 20s and stuff. Because, you know, you have a 50-mile coastline lake loaded with fish. I mean, it was incredible. Mm -hmm. So every time, spring, summer, fall, even, I had a chance to get up there for a weekend with my brothers and stuff. We would head up there and yada, yada, yada. So we didn't have a boat at this particular thing. So me and two of my brothers, we had a plan to get up very early in the morning and their candle with, like I said, it's a 50 mile lake. It has another lake, which technically I would say is part of it, but it's called Squan's Pond. And Squan's Pond is much smaller. I'd say it's maybe a mile or two, two miles long, something like that. Still not a small lake, you know, but, um, and the two lakes like connect at a narrow junction, like a street, um, and that narrows has been um, has a man-made causeway to allow with a road on it for you know cars to be able to go through. I don't know if it's one lane or two narrow ones. It's been thirty years, mm -hmm. but um, and that causeway was piled up with like rock and gravel. They had said that's how they built it, and 
under it to allow the, the two lakes to share water, there's, I guess, a steel reinforced concrete, like conduit between them. I don't know how big it is, six feet wide, eight feet wide, whatever it is, it's underwater. And that tube allows water and wildlife to, you know, swim back and forth between the lakes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we figured, oh, and I should say on the, if you're sitting on the, like the, the gravel with the road behind you on squans, there is like wilderness to one side. It's like a state park. And then there's some houses off to the right somewhere expensive houses obviously for that area um and then candlewood would be behind you so since there were all these rocks there we figured that that's ideal habitat for foraging bass small mouth maybe some large mouth etc so we had this plan we were going to get live shiners which we got the night before we were going to get up while it was still pitch black out we were going to go to the lake and we were going to be set up so that when the sun came up we had our baits out there and these bass were going to come calling and we were going to slaughter them that was our plan Okay, we had our Polaroid camera and everything. So we got there and what we didn't count on was the fact that it had rained all night. And that was a major damp, a damper, pun intended, okay, on the experience. Because when we got there, the water was the color of tea or mm -hmm. coffee without milk. You mm -hmm. know, it was dark, dark, dark. And there was no visibility. And that sucks because then the fish, they're not going to see your bait unless you, it lands on their head. And when you're casting out and, you know, the bait is like, you know, you got a three foot leader and it's eight feet deep and they're way down there. They're not going to see anything. So it sucked. Mm -hmm. So we were sitting there, three of us with our bobbers out catching nothing, you know, and after, I don't know how long, half an hour or whatever it was, my two brothers said, you know what, we're going to go fish the, uh, the candlewood side. So I was like, fine, I'll stay here. You guys go there. You know, it was like, you know, they uphill across the little causeway and down to get there. So if it was a straight line without the hill, it probably would have been like 50 feet. You know, mm -hmm. if not up and up, if you shouted really loud, I guess that you could hear each other. Mm -hmm. you know, but there was no phones. So I figured let them go. And when the fish turn on, I'm going to catch all the fish and they're going to be jealous and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I'm sitting on an upside down five gallon bucket. And nothing's happening. And then the sun's creeping up, creeping up. And the water is like glass, like glass that's called the color of coffee, though, or tea. Okay. And nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. And the sun's creeping up. And I see something out there. And I'd have to really go there um, if, like, to get an exact measurement, like, to figure out how far this thing was initially. But it might have been 150 feet away when I first saw it or something like that. I, I really don't know but uh i saw this thing bob up to the surface and it was kind of dome shaped and i'm looking at it, i'm like and then it went under disappeared i was like so i looked away i looked back and it came up again a minute later two minutes later whatever it was and i saw it again and it was each time it would do this it would be a tiny bit closer you know and i'm looking at it and i'm like i realized it was like hairy and it was like a like a dark reddish brown or something like that so i thought is that a muskrat? And I'm like, nah, it's too big to be a muskrat, you know? And then it came up again and it's still pretty far. And I'm like, that's a beaver. You know, it's gotta be. Cause it looked like a beaver, the whole beaver's backside, the back, you know, that curved part, similar color and that big. But I'm like, nah, it's not a beaver. And I'm looking, I'm like, what is that? You know, now it's got my attention. You know, mm -hmm. I got something else going on. I'm not catching any fish or anything yeah. like that. You know, so I'm sitting there watching it and it goes under and whatever it was could hold its breath for a minute or two minutes with no problem, you know, and it would pop back up. And each time it might be like five feet closer or something like that, you know, and I'm like, 
I'm like, maybe it's a deer. Yeah, that's it. It's a deer. I'm like, no, because a deer swims like the Loch Ness monster, you know, the mm -hmm. head, back, and then the body is, you know, like a lot of those champ videos. People say champ is just a deer swimming by, yeah, stuff like that. Um, so I'm like, it's not a deer, and I'm like, what am I looking at here, you know? And then like I, I kind of like stood up a little bit, and I could at this point I could see like it was it was a head of something, like a rounded head, not conical. Let's be clear on that. It was kind of dome-shaped, okay, and very hairy. And I saw, like, behind it, although it was in the distance, so it shrank away, you know, like the head straight at you and other things, there was, like, part of it beneath the surface and what looked like legs, you know. So then I thought, this must be an Irish setter based on the color. You know, somebody's got an Irish setter that's out, mm -hmm. you know, swimming in the lake. And then I'm like, you're an idiot because an Irish setter has a head shaped like a dog. And whatever yeah. this, it looks like a hemisphere coming up, like half of a sphere, you know, was definitely not part of an Irish setter. But I could see what looked like eventually like a body and legs behind it, see? And at that point, I thought it was only about five feet long. But keep yeah. in mind, something's 125 feet away in the water, and you're yeah. like looking at it straight on level. It's really hard to gauge size, you know what I mean? Just like if you see a bird in the sky, it's high up, you know, how big is it? Yeah. It's 10 feet. It's five feet. You know, nobody can really say easily. But um, and so I saw the legs would move each time it would go to submerge. And this is why I, I say this. The legs move together like this. Okay? Like a mermaid. Exactly. Like if you're wearing a mermaid suit, you know, I go out for one as Halloween and stuff, you know, but if you're swimming with it, you know, it the legs move together. They don't kick like this yeah i said this before if and when somebody gets you know really good footage or something of a bigfoot swimming you're going to see the legs moving together and you're going to be like max was right he wasn't crazy that son of a gun <laughs> you know well anyway but at this point i still don't know what i'm looking at you, you were looking at mer squatch yeah it was like driving me nuts you know and in retrospect i i theorized this in monsters and mysteries that this thing i thought it was probably a young one and that it was diving for crayfish, see? And mm -hmm. that was my theory that eventually, like, you know, it was it would come up for a breath, eat whatever it just caught, dive back down, see or feel around, grab another crayfish or two, come back up. Like potato chips. You can't eat just one. You know what I mean? So anyway, and I would think a younger animal would be a little more brazen, but since it was so misty out and it was so quiet and the water was so flat, there was nobody on the lake, and it certainly didn't know I was there at first. You know, this thing was very ballsy. Okay, so what happens eventually is is that I I'm like I can't take it anymore. I need to know what this thing is. So I decide, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to back up up the hill you know, the rocks, all the gravel and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. I'm going to get high enough up that I can look down on it. Then I'll be able to see through the, even though the water stained, I'll be able to see through it a little bit, you know, and I'll be able to finally tell, you know, satiate my curiosity about what this hairy thing is, which I was calling the hairy red thing in a minute. I'll, I'll explain that to you. But anyway, <laughs> so um, I, I didn't know what it was, honestly. So I start creeping up the hill and I don't know how far I got up the hill, 10 feet, 15 feet, whatever it was. Um, I was watching this spot where I expected it to surface based on its previous pattern, you know, up, down, creep a little closer. I imagine it was working its way through the rocks, you know, like I said, eating crayfish as it went. Mm -hmm. But anyway, and I think its ultimate goal was to go through that conduit, you know, that pipe or whatever. Um, so what happens is I like 
stumbled on like my heel, dislodged some rocks, and it, <laughs> I guess, and then it realized it had company. See, and sound travels through the water four times mm -hmm. faster than air. So it heard this immediately. And I was looking, and all of a sudden there was a tremendous splash. And it wasn't right where I was looking. It was maybe, I don't know, 50 feet that way or something like that. And I turned as it exploded up. And I think it came up, saw me, and then it went to dive. And what I did see, clear as anything, was its shoulder and its upper arm and its elbow and its forearm to the wrist like this. And this part here broke the surface of the water like that. It was very muscular. It was covered with hair like an Irish setter. Mm -hmm. Obviously wet, you know, drenched water, but the hair was clinging to it because, and this thing had, I mean, I've got guns, but this thing was like, you know, yeah. like, like, I lift trees and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, And it just, yeah, and it went, it went under like that. And I went, holy, you know, something inappropriate. And I saw it was swimming sort of towards me but it was aimed for that narrow channel where the conduit was mm -hmm. you know, as if it intended to go under that causeway okay and so i rushed over to the edge there and i saw it kind of swoosh through it was very fast and a very fast swimmer seriously mm -hmm. i mean like like uh phelps would never mm -hmm. be able to keep up with this thing, honestly. <laughs> but, uh, and the scary part was that I had a moment of trepidation because it was much bigger than I thought when I saw the shadow whoosh by and the water went like this one, like that as it you know went through. Because that mm -hmm. straight, we'll call it, was only, I don't know, 10 feet across, something like that. And it went right through the conduit. And I rushed up the hill, almost got hit by a car. I've said this before. <laughs> Welcome to Nightcaller's Archives. Before Nightcaller's became a vidcast on YouTube and Facebook, it was a live call-in show on Blog Talk Radio. We did things a little differently back then. It was a different time in the Bigfoot world. There were only a few podcasts, and Bigfoot was still taboo to talk about. We didn't have the TV shows, hundreds of Bigfoot groups and conferences, or funny memes that we have now. There were different times, folks. We've had many amazing hosts and knowledgeable guests over the years that help get the Bigfoot community to where it is now. We hope you enjoy these older shows, as they are a phenomenal source of information and good times. If you hear a guest or host that you would love to see back on the current Nightcallers, please drop a comment. Enjoy the show! Yeah, because I'm an idiot. And this is why women live longer than men, because we do stupid stuff. Okay. We think we're indestructible. Yeah. And I rush down to my, my brothers and I'm like, guys, guys, look, look, look. I'm like, look right here. And I'm pointing down where the other side of the conduit is and everything. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, there's this hairy red thing. And I, I'm telling you, I saw it. It was big and it was hairy. I saw an arm and elbow, whatever. It's going to come through right now. Watch, 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 watch. But by the time I had gone up the hill, and then almost got clipped and then come down the other side. Remember, this thing had a straight line run. It was already through. So we're standing there and 20, 30 seconds passes and I start taking the abuse. You know, yeah. yes, it was, it was daylight. It was dawn was up at this point. And um, so it had already come through. And of course, they were like, you, you know, whatever, some inappropriate sibling, mm -hmm. comments, whatever, stuff like that. And then as I'm taking this abuse, all of a sudden, like maybe a hundred feet to the left, there's the coastline there. And there's all these big lily pads that come out, like, I don't know how far, five, 10 feet from the shoreline. 
prime bass territory. And all of a sudden, there's this poof, under one of them. You see one of the lily pads like hops like that. And then there's some splashing and poof, another one hops up and then moves and another one. And the thing, in my opinion, was in the lily pads and was using them as cover to hide itself. It could you know, service for air. You know, you got a, a lily pad yeah. for a hat, you know, and everything and work its way along. And it did that. It went around the edge there and then it was gone. Okay. That's what happened. But it never dawned on me until decades later that this was a Bigfoot because I had just concluded that one of these rich people who have those houses there had like a huge pet orangutan. And this orangutan, for some reason, loved the water, which is inappropriate because orangutans do not love water. Yeah. Crocodiles over there and stuff like that. And was, it was out for a morning swim and it was diving for crayfish. You know, which was how I kind of justified it to myself and then kind of stored it in the annals of my brain, you know, in the yeah. not files, but, you know, not seen lately, whatever and stuff. But that was what happened. So then, like, when I started, I was on a show before and I was talking about it and a, a gentleman, he wrote in, he was messaging the, uh, the host and he said, tell Max, he's 100% right. He goes, I know the area. I know the spot. He goes, I know the causeway. And he said, and there are tons of crayfish there, number one. He said, number two, me and my friends and cousins, whatever it was, we all used to go there in the late 70s and the early 80s. They we used to go camping. Apparently, you can camp there in the woods or whatever, this type of stuff. And they were saying how he stopped doing it the last time they went. I guess it was in the early 80s or something. Um, I mean, I have the, his, um, you know, his text or whatever and stuff from the show back then. But And he said that something destroyed their camp. Like they came in, their tents were ripped apart. Their, their, everything was scattered, smashed, whatever, this type of stuff. And they had written it off to drug-crazed hippies, as he called it. And so the last time that one of them went, it was his friends or whatever, they asked if he wanted to go. And they're like, he's like, no, nope, no, nope, not going. Had a bad experience. And they're like, all right, we're going. He goes, watch out for the hippies. And that's what he told them. So his friends were on, on the lake in a canoe. And they were slow paddling along the wilderness side, the state park side. And let me tell you, it is, I mean, it's dangerous in there. Like it's mountainous, it's slopey, mm -hmm. it's slippery. There are, you know, like, like rocks, the size of cottages. I mean, this is like, you know, it, it's, it's not the type of stuff you're going to go running through. Let's put it that way. And I say that because they were working their way along and all of a sudden there was a tiny clearing mm -hmm. and I don't know how big he said tiny. And they heard some crashing and a huge buck antlers and all that came bursting through and dove into the water literally right in front of their canoe terrified and not of them and mm -hmm. just swam and swam the cross with the intention of crossing the entire lake heading toward like you know the the side where there's some houses and stuff and behind it they heard something chasing it crashing through the brush now they thought it was a hunter or something like that you know that's what they said and then they said uh, it stopped just shy of the clearing, whatever it was, and it started throwing stuff at them, you know, like twigs and pine cones and rocks and whatever, stuff like that. They started getting pelted over and over again by stuff, which I'm sure you know is classic primate aggressive territory. This is my spot, whatever this type of thing. And they finally shouted, hey, you know, we're in a canoe, you know, whatever. And then it stopped, okay? And I will say this plain as day, first off, nobody can chase a big buck through the woods, especially those kind of woods, and think you're going to keep up with it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? That's number yeah. one. I mean, it would just dodge you and veer off. It wouldn't have to cross a whole lake to get away. 
you know, you it would dust you like nothing. Yeah. Number two, anybody in their right mind that you know would never try and run through that type of territory because you're going to break an ankle, a leg, whatever, you know, and you're done. Okay, you don't, you don't. It just you have to see to. I mean, I put some photos in the book, I think, showing how you know squatchy that's a nice word that area is and stuff but uh so anyway so the point is is he said to me that the, the guy wrote in he said it never dawned on me but max must be right because that must have been a squatch that was chasing that deer and it was pelting my friends with stuff because it all makes sense and when i had like done research for the book i found like an old thing from almost 100 years ago where it said like fishermen spot hairy wild child swimming in lake you know hmm. And yeah, somebody else told me back then the term Sasquatch and Bigfoot was not known. So right. when you see somebody covered with hair, yeah. you know, swimming in a lake and stuff like that, that's what they would say. Or ape man or man ape or something like that. Right. Know? But that's basically what happened. So, I mean, for like 15 minutes, I sat there watching, unbeknownst to me, watching a Bigfoot swim and diving for crayfish, apparently. That's what it yeah. to be. And, you know, that's that was the story. You know, that's, like I said, it's one of my favorite, um, because people are like, they don't quite link Bigfoot with water. And, you know, it's one of my favorite ones to say, you know, like, oh, you're not safe on the water either. And then I, you know, share that story. Um, and that's if they haven't read your books, which after they read your books, then they'll definitely not want to go out on the water or feel safe on the water. Um, but it's amazing to me how hard our brains will work to concoct whatever to make something not be what it is like oh it's an orangutan it's it's uh it's an irish red setter it's anything but what you're seeing you know and how hard your brain works to protect itself mm -hmm. it's fascinating to me well we're hardwired to try and stay grounded in our perception of reality mm-hmm and when something comes that threatens that reality, we try and cling to it to justify, to create, ex to explain whatever could possibly you know, happen. Um, There's an incident in uh, Monsters and Marine Mysteries where my daughter and I, she was only seven at the time, so this is like seven years ago, and we encountered a uh, winged creature um, that should not exist. And do you do the 3D archery tournaments? Maybe bowfish. Um, no, I, I only do archery for target shooting. Um, I've never used it for fishing. I mean, I do have a bow fishing rig and set up, but I've never actually used it. I did go back looking for that giant stingray that one time by myself and didn't find it that time with the uh, idea of possibly trying to put an arrow in it, but that would have been suicide and I, my boat probably would have got dragged under and, you know, whatever. But no, I've, I've never shot anything with a bow except targets. Um Sorry, I, I digressed. I saw the caps and stuff. It's okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so your daughter um, and you had oh, a sighting. Yeah, yeah. We saw this this thing, and it, it was like it apparently crash landed in the street, and it must. It was like a very cold night, um, like late November, and it was um, like flurrying and very blustery, you know. But it was like mm -hmm. thirty six degrees. It wasn't sticking, you know. But it was like you know. Whoosh, yeah. Those are special effects that come. That was beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> no editing needed on my part later. Oh, and yeah, I got this whole thing, you know, <laughs> sound effects and stuff. <sighs> but um, so what happens is, yeah, we're, we're driving along and it was not far from where we live. And there's a lot of woods around where I live. And uh, I saw something in the road 
and I, I was going up a hill, like a low hill, and uh, I thought it was a box at first. I was like, oh, we got some debris on the road. And so, you know, my daughter, she had leaned over in the car seat, so she was looking too. So, which I'm glad because then we both saw it. And as I'm watching it, so I, I slowed down to a crawl with the intention of straddling it with my tires. Because it could have been, like I said, a box of nails or something like that. You know, you don't want to get a flat. So, yeah. um, so I'm approaching it and it starts to move. So my brain is telling me it's a box and that's the flap of the box that's coming up, see, with the wind. So I'm already mm-hmm. explaining to myself what it is. Right. Well, it wasn't that. And as I got closer, I started realizing that it was a living creature. And pretty soon I'm staring at it from maybe 30 feet away, including where I'm sitting and the length of the, you know, the truck and all that, the hood, but 30 feet total. And I see this like dark gray face with these black eyes and this black mouth. And it was like, it had a head about the size of an apple. And it was like this bristly stuff back here. I don't know what that was, but anyway, and it was like this, like, like, ah, like that. Seriously, I couldn't hear it because obviously I'm in a truck and all that, but, and I would imagine it was either scared, angry or terrified. You know, you got a 5,000 pound SUV bearing down on you, you know, you know, you're this big, it's, you know, like, you know, but anyway, And I stopped and I'm like, what is that? And I start trying to churn through the animal kingdom. Mm-hmm. You know, like in the Cronus Rising books, I don't know if you remember that that computer yeah. Archimedes that was designed yeah. to, you know, with a sample, could figure out what an animal was. Right. So my brain's doing that. I'm like, I'm in Archimedes mode. Like a possum, no, a raccoon, no, da, 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 and nothing matched, you know? And I literally, like, like as I said that, I said, like, like what the hell is that? And right then it went, and it jumped up and its wings came out and it had four wings, two sets paired like a dragonfly, mm-hmm. but they weren't shaped like that. They were like elongated ovals. They were transparent. And the only reason I think I could see them was because the headlights were like lighting them up. So the edges were just the edges were shimmering and they yeah. were doing it like, like in hover mm-hmm. mode. You know? Yeah. And my daughter goes, it's a fairy, daddy. It's a fairy like that. And then it was like, it saw her and then it, you know, because it knew I was there already. And then it went whoosh, over the roof, like, wow, it was fast and it was gone. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this thing had a wingspan of, I'm going to say three or four feet on a guess, but it wasn't small and it was not attractive. Okay. This, if this is a fairy, yeah. not, there's no Tinkerbell. Okay. This thing <laughs> like bite your finger off and then some, yeah. you know, whatever. But uh, anyway, but you know, like, like, uh, oh, and the other thing was when it was in the air, it didn't look the same. It was like a more ethereal looking, silvery white, almost like you could see through it, you know? And I think it could camouflage itself. Like it was uh, like on the ground, it turned dark gray to match the asphalt, see? But in the air, I think it tried to either go transparent or I don't know what, but anyway, so we, drove I, I drove like walking speed after that the rest of the way home you know i was like like talking to myself walking in the house and uh, you know i mean she, my daughter was all excited you know walking on the air she saw a fairy and i'm like the big the, the big brown bats yeah it's the biggest bat in this part of north america yeah that's what it was and I, i'm like going on the computer and i'm looking up bats and all this other stuff and i'm trying to explain to myself what i saw you know and it was crazy but it was real you know, and the, the, the sucky part is, I mean, I did a drawing of it as soon as we walked in the door, mm-hmm. so I forget. And that sketches in the book. But if I had had a dash camera 
this thing was dead center in, I mean, right there, dead center, you know, yeah. it would have been like game over, you know, but what are you going to do? So what are you going to do? I mean, you drew it. That's the first step because, you know, that's what I tell people after you have a Sasquatch sighting or an alleged sighting of any kind is to draw it or write it down or both. Um, mm -hmm. Because as soon as <clears throat> the shock wears off or even before the shock wears off, your brain is going to start telling you that you didn't see what you saw mm -hmm. and that it looked like this instead and that it was actually this and no, you got to write it down while it's fresh or draw it if you can. Um, if I drew something after I saw it, it would not look remotely like what I saw. So that wouldn't help me any. But writing it down, I could do. Um, was there any eye shine at all? I didn't see anything. I mean, honestly, I was staring at the wings. Yeah. The, you know, because they were, like I said, insect wings, fairy right. wings, whatever you want to call them. Two of them. like yeah. two sets. And I was just like, you know, you're so shocked. Even the thought of like reaching for your phone. I mm -hmm. mean, but I picked up the phone and put in a security code. It probably would have been gone already. But right. I was like speechless. You're frozen, you yeah. know, because you're just like, like if a Bigfoot jumps out in front of you, you're going to be like, especially if you don't know these things exist, you're like, mm -hmm. what the heck is this? Yeah. You know, and that's what happened. Yeah. And I was like, but having seen some other stuff in my day, now I'm like doing that scene like from one of the uh, Twilight movies where the girl finds out that werewolves are real. Mm -hmm. And then she's writing an email to her vampire friend who's not answering. Mm -hmm. She's like, are all the legends true? And that's what I was thinking. You know, yeah. are they all true? You know, this type of stuff. Because what I just saw, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, like, yeah, it just, uh, it was wild. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how I would react to that. Um, little people of any shape or variety kind of freak me out. So, um, yeah, that whole... I've had um, someone reach out to me and send me pictures of the Fae, and I'm just like, it's kind of like Bigfoot. Like, it's circled, and I see a face there, but also that could be pareidolia, you know? So, um, the dreaded P word. The P word and the, the circles. Um, shout out to Logan Craft's mom. Uh, she sells Squatch snacks, and she sells little gummies that are red circles. And so, just, you should check it out check it out. I just turned into Sean Connery. Um, okay. So I want no, to no I shine Doug. No, I shine. Um, so going back to water, um, since you've shared your cryptid, some of your cryptid experiences going back to water, let's talk about this documentary that's coming up. Oh, the documentary is already out. Oh, it came sorry. out actually, no, a couple months ago. Okay. We're talking about the Megalon one. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's something that I needed to put together. Um, I mean, you have two choices when you put out like scientific theories. The first is you can do a, a formal paper, uh, which the general public generally doesn't read. No. And, and if you've ever tried to read one, it's like reading Latin if you don't speak the language. Legal. Honestly, yeah, I think they they try and do this to confound people or to sound, you know, like like more intelligent or mm -hmm. just to, you know, oh, it's this these people must be magical if they can understand this language. Yeah. And, but you can do that. And I've did it for my theory on please your locomotion. Don't get me wrong. Or you can do it in a video presentation, which I opted to do. So if uh, you guys go on my YouTube channel, which I think is supernatural survivor with Max Hawthorne, or if the I think it's at real Max Hawthorne. If you just Google that, it'll take you right there. And uh, it's like a 30 minute documentary. And basically 
I have done over the years tons and tons of research and the research and the fossils that back it up overwhelmingly indicate that the megalodon shark as it became like moved into adulthood converted from being a primary hunter when it was younger and a secondary scavenger meaning it would hunt aggressively and if it found something dead it would feed on it to the point where it got so big and cumbersome that it switched and became a primary scavenger and a secondary hunter meaning like the majority of its caloric intake the flesh it got was from whale carcasses which you would either scent and track by scent or it would steal from other predators, other sharks, smaller megalodons, et cetera. But that's what it was. Its teeth and everything bear that out, that they were designed to process carcasses, et cetera. So there's an actual full documentary on that that details everything. And I mean, I can take questions on it. I have fossils here to show whatever you need. Yeah. I think I found the link. So I put it up in there, put it in the thing. And it is uh, on your channel supernatural survivor with max hawthorne so i survived the fairy so you did <laughs> and the the um mare squatch there so imagine, uh, imagine if i had hooked it because i was joking like if i had thrown a lure out there and yeah it. you could have got sasquatch dna and solved the mystery 30 years ago and we would have been done with this i wouldn't have a or show it would have spooled me or come out of the water and just inserted my rod someplace i'd rather it not go I mean, yeah, we're going to stay positive here. You would have gotten Sasquatch DNA and or you would have gotten an angry Irish red setter, D, you know, DNA, whichever. Um, or they would have said that. Yeah. You know, you know, I yeah. remember he hearing David Politis's art, you know, interview about the, the what they went through to get actual DNA tested and they had to trick yeah. a lab finally. Into mm -hmm. doing it. Yeah. 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 I've heard I've heard a lot of horror stories of samples being uh lost or you know yeah just mm -hmm. all the things he had to sue to get the results yes. yeah yeah all right well um i just shared that does anyone have any other questions about uh max's works his cryptid experiences his beliefs in um or, or his his research into paleontology. I mean, because the man is a walking font of information about that as well. And we didn't even touch on that. But um, that's very flattering of you. My my wife usually says I'm a walking something else, but <laughs> I never well, hear the rest of that. She mutters, "Yeah, You're yeah, walking, uh, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah." I uh, I stay on. So Ryan has a good ear and a bad ear, and I like to when I'm mad at him, I stay on his left side. So, yeah, yeah, I like You're, that. Yeah, it's it's just it's it's just the smart way to keep your relationship healthy. I've decided. Um, okay, so I'm gonna leave it open for questions for just a second, and um, you guys be sure to go to chronosrising.com and you can check out all like I said all of his works, all of um, he has merchandise, he has the blog, he has, um, you know, links to other things. And so you guys go check it out. There's a lot going on. Um, really great website, font of information, like the website host himself. So you guys go check it out. Definitely buy, I'm not kidding, buy Kronos Rising. Like he said, it's on Audible. So if you're not a big reader and, and you, I haven't put out a new episode 
since I'm your favorite podcast in the whole world and you're bored, you can go buy the Audible version of his books and you can listen to it there. And let me tell you, it will not, it will not disappoint and it will make you not want to go into the water ever again. Uh, you're welcome, Chris. It was my pleasure. It was the water crypto that got him started in all this. Um, not exactly. Uh, when I was writing the Cronus Rising series, I had to do a ton of research about including sightings. For, mm -hmm. So I have these giant prehistoric marine reptiles called pliosaurs, yes. um, which are like the mixture of a whale and a crocodile, let's say, that were alive in the present. And so I was referencing or researching like modern sightings of creatures like that, et cetera. And as I got into this more and more and more, I started learning more and meeting more people. And a lot of cryptozoologists became readers of mine and friends of mine and stuff. And I had, you know, my experience with that winged thing yeah. and everything. It reminded me a little of the homunculus from the Ray Harry House movie, like the Golden Voyage of Sinbad, you know, mm -hmm. something like that, except the wings were different. But, um, you know, it reminds you put me it of the together. labyrinth. Every yeah. time you talk about it, I go to the labyrinth in my head and the little fairies in there that bite Sarah and Hoggle's like, well, what did you expect them to do? And I'm like, so every time you say it's ugly and mean, I just think of that. I was just like, imagine if I run out of the car and just grabbed it, you know, and stuff. And then like 50 more of them come out of the trees and whatever. And That's stuff. awful. Yeah, it's a scary thought, you know. But yeah. I really think like it maybe an owl hit it or hit a, a line like a power line or something like that and yeah. it was stunned and it was like lying there like oh my god what was that and then yeah. it was like whoa what the heck is this and and it's once it gathered its energy it was out of there yeah but um so but yeah it was uh you know it, it was yeah. an amazing thing to see it really was yeah yeah it'll, it opened it broadened your horizons let's put it that way um yeah so there's i'm sorry no, go ahead. <laughs> no, some people were saying it was a baby Mothman. I'm like, well, if it is, Mothman don't look like what they say because this <laughs> thing was like, and then the wings were nothing like that also. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. Well, did you see the backside? Because I hear that's how you identify Mothman now is. Because you know, uh, of his butt the, from the statue. Yeah, the, you know, this is the thumbnail I'm going to use for this show right there. Just. <laughs> you know, in my heyday, I had that beat, but now I'm getting a little old. <laughs> you know whatever i i can't believe that his his derriere is not um you know how when you touch a statue so much it bronzes right there yeah. um i can't i can't believe his derriere is not like that because the amount of pictures in my feed of people touching the mothman's Twist. tiny yes um okay one last question any evidence of meg swimming up freshwater like bull sharks not that I'm aware of. There is a nice documentary on there, the previous one called Mega Shark or Megalodon, I think. It's on the, the YouTube channel. Yeah. Where I documented, um, along with the help of the uh, Mr. and Mrs. Tudor, um, a humpback whale carcass that washed up this past July, I think right. it was. And it had bite marks on there that indicate a shark that fed on it, killed it. Um, that was, I think, 32 feet was the estimate. Hold on, I'm so, about to put that in the... Yeah, it's not a uh, megalodon, per se. Most likely a gigantic white shark, one with gigantism. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's a huge predatory fish. There is, I, I mean, if you read Monsters and Marine Mysteries, there's a whole chapter on mega sharks that you're going to love. Yeah. The biggest shark that I have evidence of is around 40 feet in length. And this is real evidence. I mean, we're talking 
photographic evidence with giant, like a giant bite taken out of a bus-sized whale shark and stuff with tooth grooves and all that. So, I mean, the next best thing would be a fresh tooth this big or a, a carcass or something like that, but this is pretty good stuff. And that recent one that came out after the book came out, you know, once again, indicates a gigantic macro-predatory shark well over 30 feet in length. The bite marks, you'll see them are over a yard across, which is something to see with tooth notches and everything. It's good stuff. Or terrifying, whichever. Like I said, I have a fear of the water that I can't see. If I can't see into the water, I got I got issues with it. I, I do. I, I am a water baby. I love water. I love swimming. Um, I, I love being in water. Absolutely. But however, as I've gotten older, I've developed this fear of, and I, I know there's a phobia with it, but I can't remember what it's called. So, um, phobia. <laughs> Thalassophobia? Is that, that the one? Thalassophobia. Maybe. Um, that might be it because it has to do with fear of the sea and things in the water. I think it's yeah. called thalassophobia. I mean, it's so. a scary thing because imagine if you're out on the ocean and you're swimming or, God forbid, your boat goes down and you're, you're sitting in there in a life preserver, you and a couple yeah. of friends. You know, at this point, you're basically bait. Okay. I'm sorry to yeah. say, but it's true. It's like it bobber fishing. And yeah. You know, but you're in hundreds or thousands of feet of water, and all of a sudden your foot comes down on something that feels like dry land. Okay. You know, moving dry land. You know, like woof, like that. You're like, what the heck? You know, yeah. like like seriously. And then you know, unless you have like goggles or a mask, you you know, you stick your face in. Are you going to see anything? Probably. Do you not. want to see it? Yeah. Do you want to stick your face in there and see it? Because I would rather just at that point, just 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 take me. Just just. <laughs> jaws from underneath i don't want to see it i don't want to know that i'm going to be in the belly of the beast i just be done be done yeah. i don't I mean if you're know. lucky it's a dolphin or a whale you know a friendly whale well i'm talking about shark. like in a lake yeah. you know oh in a like, lake oh my or, god that would be something big enough for you to feel like you hit land and in a lake in deep water and you're so oof. i remember it was uh like I'm a big proponent of the idea that the Loch Ness monster, pretty much most of the sightings are, have been like incidents involving Wells catfish mm -hmm. and the evidence yes. kind of bears that out. I mean, right. so many of the historical sightings bear that out, et cetera, including the initial one where like this man was in the water and uh, was dragged under by something. And I think one person might have drowned and then there was another guy in the water and something grabbed him and pulled him. And then a priest came and told the creature to leave him alone. And it, it did or something like that. I think that's like the oldest sighting, but that's what Wells catfish do when they're nesting, you know, and Jeremy yeah. Wade proved this in an episode yeah. because these yes. girls were in a lake and something grabbed her by the calf and pulled her under and left right. a bruise. Yeah. And there were these brooding, meaning like they had their eggs there, these Wells catfish, and they will protect their nest. And that's what they do. They grab something, they bite down, they yank on it. It's only like they want to scare you away. Mm -hmm. So that makes perfect sense, you know, that some if somebody got pulled on there and drowned by the monster, and if it was like going after somebody else, it's not as much maybe the, the guy approaching and saying, get thee gone, although it could be like two people might yeah. intimidate a fish, but yeah. it, the guy may have just reached the edge of its territory where it's like no longer going to pursue See, mm -hmm. but there was another one somebody on she saw like a six or seven foot Loch Ness monster flopping on the the edge of the water and it had antennas which sounds suspiciously like the long whiskers of a Wells catfish 
you know, and then it flopped and went back into the water and it swam away. It's the size of wells. They get much bigger than that even. And we know now that wells catfish will leap out of the water to eat pigeons and stuff. So obviously a wells made a lunge and miscalculated and it was flopping around and then it went back in. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there are actually um, stories about Bigfoot um, kind of doing that in um, Lost Lake, mm-hmm. Lake of the Pines, one of those, Lake of the Pines, I think, somewhere um, in Texas. But there was a, a encounter story that was told of a Bigfoot sighted in water and that it had pulled people under. Um, and so I don't know if that one's more of an urban myth, like, you know, uh, but that one is one that I've heard. And whenever I watched that, uh, river monsters episode, that was actually one of my first thoughts was, Hmm, was it really the Wells catfish or was it, mm-hmm. you know, another creature that did it? So, um, well, I mean, that's a great way a big to pray if you think about it, if you yank yeah. somebody under and nobody sees, you know. Exactly. I yeah. mean, I remember I read about uh, some hunters were, I think it might have been of Canada or something, and they were near the shore and they saw this huge Sasquatch and it obviously was aggressive and it started wading towards them, you know, roaring and stuff. And it was, it kept coming and one of them shot it in the chest with a 30 odd six. And it like roared and screamed at them or whatever. And then they took off. Um, but yeah, you know, it was, uh, yeah. I'll pass. Scary stuff. Yeah. Um, River Monsters is a great show. Um, Cyril Chaco Chaquet. Um, he had a show and it is actually one of my favorites. Um, as much as I love Jeremy Wade and I did love his show. Um, Catching Monsters or I think it's Catching Monsters maybe with Cyril Sheke. Like that that one was really good also. If you guys, you know, kind of have watched all the River Monsters about five times and you want something different, um, check that one out. It's older, but it's really good. Avocado Lake, he said. People have been pulled over in Fresno County, California. Um, yeah, I, it was actually in Texas, this one that I heard. And it was um, said that they had like underwater caves or something under the banks where they could you know stay or something could be gigantic catfish you always hear these stories people say they see catfish the size of small cars yes base of dams and stuff like that yeah no i wouldn't put it past an enormous catfish either no i mean if it was that yeah yeah jason had mentioned that earlier uh, about that and that they had seen eyes the size of uh headlights down there and you know that's that's see this is why i have a phobia it is a legitimate phobia my friends okay any catfish with eyes that big you don't want a piece of no, no. Me. only time my eyes get that big is when i walk in a golden corral or <laughs> i was gonna say i was gonna say if there are deviled eggs around i get pretty excited i'm not gonna lie tomorrow uh thanksgiving i got, I got yelled at for eating all the deviled eggs one year <laughs> me too ah, did you eat all the deviled eggs uh no possibly... he had some too you know my other brother uh-huh so we got yeah for years my dad lectured us about eating all the deviled eggs yeah, I mean, like every holiday, every Thanksgiving, watch the deviled eggs. Don't leave these two alone with them. You know, all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, Do you know why? It's because, well, I mean, it's because there's that special platter that your mom or grandma puts it on that has the whole cutouts for the deviled eggs. And they have to have that amount because if one's missing, it just looks awful. That's the only reason. 
you eat a dozen deviled eggs and they never let you live it down. <laughs> One never. time. You know? And on that note, I hope that everybody has a fantastic Thanksgiving holiday. Um, I messaged my friend earlier and told him he's British. And I said, you know, I hope you have happy holidays. And he said, I hope you have a happy holiday time, which is apparently how they say it wherever he's from. So um, I hope everyone has a very happy and safe holiday time. And while you are sitting around avoiding your in-laws, order Max's book from Amazon, again, chronosrising.com, and finish the entire series and start Slay for Christmas break when you're around your in-laws again. Okay, so there's my shameless plug for you. And thank you so much for coming on tonight, Max. I am thankful for you. I am thankful for all your fine people, listeners. <laughs> and thank you for those shameless plugs. I, I yeah. can't thank you. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I can't speak now. I'm thinking about deviled eggs and I'm drooling. Um, <laughs> exactly. That's what I was not mentioning was the deviled eggs. You can always tell who ate them if you give it a couple hours. It will It will come back to I always you. sneak out before that happens. oh that's smart well thank you so much for coming on i hope you have the happiest of holidays and you guys go buy his book all right stay safe be kind and i'll see y'all next time thank you so much for listening nightcallers bigfoot radio is a nightcallers production created and hosted by me lauren smith If you'd like to support the show further, you can share episodes with other believers and seekers of the truth. Leave a positive review or subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen to the show. We also have merch. Visit the links on our Instagram and Facebook pages to check it out. Stay safe, be kind, and I'll see y'all next time.